Hello and welcome back to Cooking Books with me, Julie Smith, the podcast which takes us just a little deeper behind the pages of the best of the food books. This week I'm with Kylie Newton, whose fermenting and pickling masterclasses have been featured in The Guardian and The Times, formerly the brains behind Newton and Pot, the fine purveyor of preserves and pickles. She's now morphed from preserver to communicator as her latest book, The Modern Preserver, hits the shelves. I always joke that I'm the saint of produce because I'm giving, you know, I'm giving queen food. of the pickle. <laughs> queen of the pickle. I feel like I'm giving food longevity, though. I'm giving it life, um, extra reign of life. A serial entrepreneur and all-round creative, her story of making it up as you go along will be familiar to many listeners who've always wanted to turn their hobby into their world. I asked her if she'd have the meaning of life. When I turned it into a business, it became that that age-old problem where you turn your passion into um, something that becomes, you know, uh, it became that I wasn't working um, every day making what I want to do. So that passion kind of left. It became problem-solving, running a small business. I realised my job became, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd realise that my job would become, what problem do I have to solve today? So I became a problem-solver. Um, I think that's why, you know, I, I did this small business for a very long time, for about um Six years, there's this little mental block on it right now because we closed it up the week before lockdown, um, first lockdown happened um, on my own terms, uh, which was great. But it was becoming um, a bit, um, and a stress on, on my mental being. I'd taken out, the, as you said, the love of wanting to do preserves. Now that I've taken that break, and it's been a year and a half since closing Newton and Pot, and I can just do the writing and I can um, do the classes because I do workshops, um, teaching as well. Now it's all flooding back in, that love and that joy for the seasons. And that's where, um, yeah, it's becoming exciting for me again. Turning into business was was too much for me. I think I'm a creative rather than business-minded. So it's It's so interesting, you know. When we talk, you're, you're a sustainability yeah. queen as well. Yeah. You're somebody who's absolutely motivated by sustainability. And sustainability is about nature and it's about flow. You know, for me, it's all related. And when you feel something doesn't work, it's like there's a block in the system. You know, find a way of unplugging that, letting it flow again. And then all the life comes back to it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's been a real um, l- learnt lesson of my husband and I have decided that, yeah, we just want a better quality of life. Yeah. And, you know, he, through uh, Newton, he was uh, supporting me. He was doing a full-time job that he really didn't enjoy for about six years. Yeah. And uh, we needed to strip it back and do the things that, you know, yeah. made us happy again. Yeah. So, listen, yeah, listen, we've all about been there. That. We've all been there. A lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of kind of freelancers, a lot of food writers, a lot of bloggers listen to this podcast. You know, we're with you. We try a lot of things. Yeah. And, and that's kind of how you started. When you came over to New Zealand, you were working with a photographer, first of all, weren't you? Yeah. So I've had many jobs, um, exciting, fun jobs. Um, I... Uh, people always ask me how I ended up uh, becoming a preserver, but I feel like there's uh, because preserving has this this kind of craft um, attribute to it. I'm trying to put the cool 
back into the craft. Um, I see it more as that sustainability feel that, you know, we're using um, up uh, the seasonal glut to make something new. And I always joke that I'm the saint of produce because I'm giving, you know, I'm giving queen of the pickle. Queen of the fickle. I feel like I'm giving food longevity, though. I'm giving it life, um, extra reign of life. So, um, so not WI. You yeah. know, there's so many, many kind of slogans you could use. You know, I've done um, event organising. I've done. Um, uh, I worked as a DJ. I've worked in several bars um, and in kitchens yeah. throughout my life. And then uh, when I came to London, I worked for a very famous photographer, Wolfgang Tillmans, um, artist photographer. I think that's where, you know, with my books, um, there's definitely this kind of uh, aesthetic yeah. that comes through. Um, Quite a, I like I like to think quite of a raw aesthetic as well because he's quite a raw photographer. Um, he's a he's a saint. I think there is that there are saints. I'm a fake saint. He's definitely <laughs> a saint. Um, but it is your artistic background. You're married to a graphic designer as well. Yeah, you know, there's a yep. real artistry that kind of co- comes through, and I think that's really important when you're telling a story which is yeah what you're really doing and certainly what you do in in this book isn't it so take us back so so you're you're a born sustainability child you're a child yeah. of sustainability and you say that actually new zealand grows sustainable kids don't you <laughs> i i believe that we do grow sustainable kids i mean i haven't lived there for the last 20 years and i'm i'm sure things have changed but you know growing up in the 80s i definitely was only eating things that were in season and um, if it wasn't in season we weren't eating it and we've always um, yeah I I just feel it's in our blood Uh, you know I grew up being a tidy Kiwi I want to take care of the earth Um, I've always thought about that process of you know I I think I write in uh, the new book um, that you know Sesame Street taught me that today's news could be recycled into tomorrow's news. So um, I kind of, you know, and one of my Christmas uh, wish lists was a paper recycling kit when I was (laughs) like seven years old. And, um, you know, not these, I I didn't grow up in the kind of uh, computer age. So I feel like, yeah, it's always been in my blood for sure. I can't... um, I can't talk for the kids today. Hopefully, I think that the kids, though, of today have to save us for for the damage we have done to the world. And, and I'm hoping they're more aware of these issues. Certainly seems like they are. Yeah. Well, it's a hard call to put it all on them, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's <their> responsibility <laughs> for <laughs> our mistakes. <laughs> we have to help them just a bit. Yeah, but we pickling do. pickling and preserving and fermenting. Now, I've done lots and lots on this show um about this subject which is fantastic and it feels like this is something that we should all be doing yes it is kind of one of these old skills that you're bringing back uh you amongst a lot of people are bringing back and, and making them really interesting making them beautiful is what i think you do very well and you can make amazing colors uh through pickles and preserving can't you in particular but let's talk about the basics if somebody has never made a brine before why would you make a brine and how do you make it 
I think that um, actually pickling is a very, very good start to uh, your preserving journey. Um, basically because you can pickle almost anything. I tend to stay clear of the more starchy kind of vegetables. Um, when you, uh, But it's basically just creating a brine out of um, vinegar, water, sugar and spices and having fun with all your different spices and thinking about your palate and, and, the, and the produce you're working with and kind of gelling them together and making some kind of marriage of flavour. And then it's just about patience. You're kind of creating this brine by quickly um, bringing it to a boil, chopping and prepping your vegetables, packing them into the jar, making, filling it up with the brine, a few spices, um, making sure that it's all the produce is all submerged under the brine level and then sealing it and then giving it a bit of time depending on the type of pickle you make there are a couple which kind of um there are a few that um there's a bit of confusion about there's a quick pickle which chefs use so this has usually got a lot of water and sugar in it to make it palatable straight away because as you can understand vinegar it has that sharp kind of uh, effect on your palate where your face will be just just screw up um not a good look uh, in a restaurant not a good look in a restaurant so they put a lot of sugar and water but those elements into your pickle are actually not um, giving it preservation so if you want to make a preserving pickle you uh, uh take out a lot more water add less sugar and then you give it the time so it becomes like a little time capsule um and after three weeks that's when the flavors start to marriage and mellow a little bit more for to make it edi- more edible and more palatable um, because of the vin- vinegar and then there's the pickle which is more of a ferment where you're creating a salted water brine you're still submerging your vegetables underneath underneath the um, the water level but after a, a while they start to pickle themselves that's fundamentally what fermentation is doing it's starting to pickle it's breaking down and starting to pickle itself there are a lot of things or some things that people might be a little bit confused about for example moldy vegetables because we are talking about leftovers if and and you say that it really has to be submerged under salt water to avoid them going moldy little tips like that What, what else should we make sure that you know we're really doing right um, so sterilization is important, um, not so much with um, pickling. You want to always work within a clean environment, as always. Um, uh, sterilization, I would usually use more with a hot fill, but usually vinegars are a very secure environment um, for um, bacteria not to grow. Mostly my concern um, when making pickles is bacteria and mould. Um, so you're kind of wanting to keep them out and by securing them into this jar with a whole lot of vinegar, which uh, is is not the best party for molds and bacterias to kind of hang out at um uh, you're you're creating that kind of time capsule tips i think would be working with um fresh vegetables if you've got vegetables that are starting to wane in your fruit bowl i would go for a chutney because then you're 
adding um, sugars and vinegars and you're cooking it down and it goes all a little bit sticky and mushy anyway, kind of similar, you're rendering it down kind of similar to making a sauce. So you don't need to worry about the quality of the vegetable so much. But when you're creating a pickle or a ferment, it's I think it's really important to have good fresh ingredients because what you really are trying to do is create that time capsule, kind of keep it in its state that it is in. Um, yeah, it is important to think about um, the vegetable and what you're pickling and fruit. Uh, I have got a lot of fruit um, uh, pickles in my new book because I feel like it's something mm. interesting for people mm-hmm. to start to um, bring into the everyday meals. Mm. Um, uh, think about the poor, how porous the vegetable is, how much it's going to absorb. So some things you might need to prick, um, some things you might need to blanch, some things you don't want, like a cucumber, you don't want to put hot liquid over because it's just going to go to mush. Mm. So, And then you think about how you're cutting them within that realm as well, mm. how much they're going to absorb because mm. after time vegetables can go soggy, uh, especially um, things like cucumber and um Courgettes. But this is ultimately, it's alchemy, isn't it? It's, it's playing with yeah. different flavours and different ideas. And, you know, once you've managed the basics, you could have a real old play. I mean, it's you're talking about, you know, your flavour palette is going to be different to mine. And exactly. I might want completely different spices in my brine than, than you might play with. And it's fine, isn't it? It's whatever, whatever it's you like. It's absolutely fine. I think that um, that's what I kind of want to encourage with people and their cooking. Um, You know, this is how I do it. Mm. But, you know, yeah, you want to kind of open up your own ideas and create your own um, uh, fun. It's an exploration. So have a little bit of fun with it and work with what you've got. I think um, people, you've got two types of home cooks. They either follow a recipe to the word well they say they do and then um you've got the ones that like oh well i don't have that i'll substitute with uh something like um with something else i'm a cook of that i'll look at a cookery book and i will look at the ingredient list and the photo of how it ends up and i just go off and i'm really bad at following instructions terrible at following the rules but also it's about using up what you've got in the fridge um and you are about zero waste aren't you i mean this is a fantastic sustainable skill you do not want to be chucking waste in unless you've got a a fantastic compost going but most people haven't particularly if you live in a city you want to be using up your veg and this is and fruit and this is a great way of doing it um let's go let's start going through your uh food moments and see how this fits in because the thing about your book is that this isn't like a lot of the other um, preservers I've had on the show, it's actually using pickles as a centre for a recipe. So how do you do that with scones? Um, so th- the back section, which is the extras, um, was more about things um, to help you use up your jam or, you know, they were just these fun little extra things. I couldn't right. write a book because, you know, scones, everyone puts jam on scones. I wanted things you could put on top of your... Um, things to make from scratch, basically, that you could use your jams a, as a, a as a platform, let's yeah. say. And it's also um, important to talk about your family because that's where it all comes yeah. from. So tell us about Nan and Auntie Sher. Well, Nan um, is my hero. She was just a fantastic woman. She had 
eight children. Her She left her husband in a time where there was no kind of social benefits. And she was the centre of all the family. And we used to go around and visit her. And no matter what, she had great scones on the table every time people came to visit for her. For all like, 24 grandchildren. All 24 <laughs> grandchildren. Maybe not all at the same time, <laughs> but um, unfortunately I didn't get to sit and or watch her. You know, Nan sadly has passed away and I wanted to ask my auntie Cher how she made it because, yeah, I wanted Nan's recipes. Now, you know, people might make this recipe and they may not think it's the best scone recipe in the world, but to me it's the best scone recipe in the world. It it conjures up all the sentiments of my gran and us all all coming to visit. Um, And setting up a love of cooking forever. And setting up a love of cooking forever. I think, yeah, my mum, my father was a fisherman, um, so we quite often ate fresh fish. Um, my mother was a really good cook as well. Um, you know, at a time growing up where people were eating three veg and meat, um, w- my mother was making things like nasi goreng and crab linguine and, you know, just out of the magic cookery book. But yeah. so, you know, not just the fancy, interested. but just interested in food and different types of food. Um, so, and yeah, I remember sitting on the kitchen floor. Just we had as girls, we had to um, make, you know, one of three sisters. We had to make the family meal um, once a week, uh, and so we'd always have a little rotor on the kitchen um, fridge, and. I took joy in sitting and flicking through all the cookery books and deciding what I was going to make and um, going with mum down to the supermarket or market and collecting or, you know, it's kind of ingrained in me and it must have stuck then out of all the jobs I've done over the years. I've come back to this kind of um, passion that I just, you know, didn't realise that was kind of growing in me all this time because my sisters can't remember it <laughs> can't remember <laughs> cooking at all for the family oh, and goodness. I was like this was my highlight of my week but food is for you it's about memories isn't it it's about emotion and yeah. it's about memories and it and it really is so much more than just what's on the plate and so everybody's recollection and association is going to be different yeah um passing on recipes as well sort of you know i'm looking at your second food moment the new zealand pavlova with marmalade now this is yeah. interesting I, of all the um recipes in the book i'm interested in why you chose this as your second food memory you know, pavlovas are what I grew up with. Of course, it's that Australia-New Zealand kind of um, war uh, who developed the recipe first. Um, Aussies think it's them. New Zealanders think it's them. Um, it's based around a chef creating a dish for a famous um, ballerina that um, turned up to one of these countries. I pretty much think it's New Zealand. Um so it's a it's different from a meringue, and what really bugs me is I see a lot of chefs here. It's just one of those, you know, be in my bonnets. Um, chefs here think that just layering meringues is a pavlova, and it's not a pavlova. Uh, to me, should be 
crunchy on the outside and soft and kind of marshmallow on the inside. It's not merely a meringue where it's crackling on the outside and chewy on the inside. And I've had many a debate with people on Instagram with this to the point that um, someone even deleted all my comments. Um, <gasps> a, wow. a well... And I wasn't being nasty. I was just being, just commenting, you know. But, of course, they don't want to see the debate. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we've been talking so far about alchemy, about making it up yeah. as you go along, about different flavour palettes, different associations, food memories. And yet this is a really hardcore line you're taking here. <laughs> I know, you know, this, yeah, this, know, this and, a- you know, I know what I'm talking about. And it seems very out of character it does feel a little bit like constantly torn yeah <laughs> and i wonder if it is about roots i think it probably is about roots and there's a lot of discourse at the moment about authenticity um which is big on my agenda um and i do you know authenticity um should be about adaption and it should be about growth as well and I think if uh, people respect the ingredients of where they come from um, but yeah I'm just going to have to be hardcore on this <laughs> on this in the pavlova it's not merely a meringue stack it clearly it's isn't it not. is the root of your it whole clearly, being yeah it's it you know, it is. I just want people to get it right. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and and from that point, I think that it's about actually learning the rules before you can break them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the recipe was designed. You know, uh, I think a lot like this Russian ballerina, quite soft and um, billowing uh, across the stage. But you know, that whole Russian hard exterior. So I, I feel like that's where the the concept has come from. The third food moment is completely different. I mean, all of you are very, very different from each other. This one is the whey potato salad with pickled peas and mint. Uh, It's about the seasons. Um, This goes back to, for me, it goes back to the really core of of who you are, which is all about local seasonal waste. And you're trying, you're, you're pitching yourself as somebody who's contributing to this new narrative. And you're doing it very beautifully with your very arty kind of beautiful photographs and and writing and communicating this new story of taking uh, leftovers and that kind of um, waste not want not kind of WI post war <laughs> aesthetic and and bringing it into the twenty first century. Is that what? Is that why you picked this as your third food moment? I think so. I, I just the book was quite complicated to structure, not to write. It was a but um, how it was going to work and flow. Um, you know, th- there was much going back and forward after when we got into the editing and the design stage because I didn't want there to be a focus so much on the um, preserves of stuff as such, but more. Um, how everything kind of came together from different dishes that you might make. So um, there's a recipe for, you know, homemade uh, soft cheese, so ricotta, um, and the back in this extra section where you have a byproduct um, of whey, and it's really lovely cooking your potatoes in whey. They kind of take on this really creamy effect. And then... um, uh, after cooking in the way you can scrape off all the ricotta that kind of comes up to the top again mm-hmm. and um, uh, and then it was using up the pickled peas as well instead of using say in your potato salad which you're quite 
usually use capers or um, cornicorns. Uh, I wanted to use this pickled pea uh, thing because, you know, it's all about the seasons. I love when peas come out. Not many people know to pickle them and uh, there's this real ritual of sitting around um, the table and popping peas. So it's that community again and it's bringing back that seasonal um, feeling of people are together. I love that idea. I, you yeah. know, I love um, your Pickle Thursdays. Tell me about Pickle Thursdays. So uh, in my kitchen, uh, Newton and Potts kitchen, we would cook um, jam and chutney and do all our pickles on a Thursday. We had uh, a made pickle lily, which is a pickle as well. And pickle lily ta- is a two-day process. So we... Um, we hand chopped everything. Everything was made in small batches. Like most people call small batch um, commercially like a hundred jars. We were doing 20 jars at a time or mm. in jam case like eight jars, sometimes 10. Um, very small batches. Everything was done by hand. So I did end up getting a RoboCoop to chop some of the bigger ones. But, you know, the RoboCoop wouldn't chop up the um, cauliflower in the right way. It would just mash it up. So we would sit there and hand chop mm. all the cauliflower and everything. Um, at but that's the craft, pop. isn't it? That's the craft. Everything it had to look pretty in the jar for me, which is problematic business-wise. But but as far as I understand, the kind of the the, the draw to craft is the antithesis of the Robocoop. It's the yeah. actually getting back to using your hands and creating yeah. something that does take time, that is done yeah. together, that's not about yeah. mass production. It's just not, um, you, know, you know, doing everything by hand sometimes um, it is not sustainable and financially, sure. Sure. <laughs> which is why you've given up Newton Parts, which a, is yeah, as a yeah. business, and you're doing the crafting and the masterclasses and the instead. Writing. Let's go into your final food moment: the grilled kippers with brown butter, poached eggs, <laughs> gooseberry chutney, and creme fraiche. Now, this is the ode to our lovely Oliver Rowe, who yes. we love, yeah. and he's one of your greatest friends, the brother you didn't grow up with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Again, another king of sustainability. Yeah, so I feel like Oliver, he's a hero, he is a hero of this. He's um, had a fantastic uh, restaurant called Constam before I knew him anyway. And he was um, one of the first kind of chefs to mm. kind of start talking about mm. um, getting food within a radius of the restaurant, which, uh, you know, does fit into that. He's actually at the moment making fantastic kimchi working at Moro and making incredibly delicious kimchi so if you're a kimchi fan you should get Ollie's kimchi. I, I visited him when he was down at Dartington and uh, he was yes. building the, uh, the the kitchen garden within this beautiful walled garden down at Dartington yeah. Manor. Amazing. So we met at a mutual friend Felicity Spectres um, and we just kind of clicked straight away. Uh, so, yeah, we'd been doing this fun little kind of duo called Kipper and Pickle. And he grew up in Camden, so he's a London boy. So we wanted to do this duo and he wanted to do Kippers. And I, you know, was going to bring the pickle. So I think we did about three um 
kind of demos together at various festivals one year, which was a fun little duo. But that um, moment is more about, you know, just the influence of everybody around me and who I've had this fantastic opportunity who would have known a preserver, would have been able to be chucked in with working with some amazing chefs and just been given that opportunity through food. You know, I feel like food has a community and I've worked in fashion, I've worked in the art world, um, dabbled in the music world. The food world seems to be the warmest. It does have its rivalries. I'm not going to lie, but it, it seems to be more, I think because it's food is always based around feeding and people feeders. and feeders that there's this community you want to make people happy all the time you kind of want to give them this big cuddle and um yeah i it, this is just more about all of the people um who have been there and heroed me along the, the way Thanks for listening. You can buy all the books featured on Cooking the Books by clicking on the bookshop tab at jillysmith.com. And while you're there, do sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all my news, including the Cooking the Books Supper Club. Don't forget to rate and review the podcasts on Apple Podcasts. And I'll see you next week when I'm feasting on the amazing health benefits of the Mediterranean diet with Dr. Simon Poole. <laughs> <laughs>